Father, we thank you for giving us all the opportunity to be here this morning and to talk about the things that you will allow us to talk about. I just pray, Father, that you give us ears to hear this morning and attentiveness. Lord, just please fill the room with your spirit. Help us to learn more about the need in Maine and guide us in that and guide Stuart and Roger in their conversation as well. Father, we just praise you and we thank you for the opportunity to be here and getting us all here safely. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with those who couldn't be with us this morning and that you would just bless them to be able to be in your word and in prayer and growing with you in some way. And Father, I pray that you're able to get them here next week if they're not here today. And Father, we just praise you for your glory. We praise you for all that you've done for us. We praise you for your son, Jesus, coming to die for us on the cross to save us of our sins. And I just pray that as we learn this morning, as we fellowship, when we leave, we don't leave that in here, but we go and we impact our community and we impact all of the communities surrounding. We impact Maine. And Father, I just praise you and I thank you for your many blessings in our life. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to welcome Roger Farrell up this morning. Roger is the director of Multiply Maine, and he's coming here to talk to us a little bit about the need in Maine. He's going to come up with Stuart, and um, he's also the pastor of Anchor Church. So just give him your ears and eyes this morning, and we're thankful to have these guys over here. It is good to be back. Uh, I was sick last week, and uh, I think uh, you're safe for me, but just in case, I got this. Uh, but anyway, it is good to see you, uh, and, and Roger and his wife are down from Maine to tell us what's going on there at the 10 o'clock service, or 10.30 service, I should say. We'll be, uh, we'll be letting, you know, uh, letting people that aren't here now know a little bit more about him, but uh, we're just going to turn it over to him today and let him take off. So God bless you, Roger. Good morning. Thank you, Stuart. Good morning. How are you? It's good to be with you. I thought we might just sing just to start the day, huh? Does that sound good? Um, let's sing a little um, Give Me Jesus. You know that old spiritual? You can stand with us. It's hard to sing first thing in the morning. Standing up might help. Let's sing this together, okay? And I'll prompt you as we go, so... alone, oh, when I am alone, 
I come to die, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus, give me Now and forevermore. Now and forevermore. Now and forevermore. I will praise my risen Lord. I will praise the risen Lord. His name is Jesus. Give me Jesus. Good to be with you this morning. And um, who said you can't drive 12 hours and do Stanton, Virginia in a weekend? You know, I don't know why more people don't don't do that. We'll put that back where it goes. Uh, my name is Roger. Uh, my wife is Caroline, and my son Isaiah is with us as well. And we are from Maine. And if you're listening for the accent, I'm not originally from Maine. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. And when people say, why did you move from Florida to Maine? I always tell them it was to make room for another Mainer to move to Florida. <laughs> because they threatened to do that a lot, especially this time of year. Um, it's a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Um, I am a missionary with Multiply Maine, uh, which is an organization that you have probably never heard of. Um, but uh, it, it, is, it is what it sounds like. Our role is to equip and train and deploy folks uh, to plant uh, gospel-proclaiming churches in the state of Maine. I'm also a pastor at Anchor Church in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. I know a number of you have been to Maine. How many of you have been to Booth Bay Harbor? Anybody? A few? Oh, wonderful. Good. We'll have to talk afterward. Um, it hadn't changed much. It's about the same. I don't know when you were last there, but it probably hasn't changed much. Um, so I'm very grateful for James Shaw, one of our church planters uh, that we work with. He is preaching for me today. And... Um, 
Uh, Caroline and Isaiah and I are with you this weekend because Travis and Naomi Plessner in your congregation are responding to God's call on their lives to move back to Maine and help start a new church in the town of Blue Hill. I trust that you know the Plessners. If you do not, I suggest you get to know them uh, over the next 30 days or so. <laughs> or if you don't, still don't know them, you can come and see them in Maine and get to know them there. We'd be, how is that for a plug? Um, it's our privilege at Multiply Maine to work alongside church planners like the Plessners to see gospel proclaiming churches started in communities with little to no gospel witness. And our state is full of communities like that. Uh, we're not here only to help you understand the Plessner's calling. I think they've done an able job of communicating that to you over the last few months, but also to humbly ask you to partner with them and with us to start this new work and others like it in our state where by our best estimate, 97% of the population does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me let that sink in with you a little bit this morning, because I know it's early and some of you haven't had your coffee yet. 97% of the people in our state do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. On behalf of our board at Multiply Maine, the Baptist Convention in New England, and our partnering churches, I bring greetings to you. Um, I want you to know we're really glad to be with you, grateful for your hospitality. We are staying in the hospitality house across the parking lot there. Quite a commute to church this morning. That was nice just to be able to walk over. Um, and we're grateful for the work that God has done in Travis and Naomi's lives over the last few years. I think it's fair to say that when they left us, they were like kids. And then this man called me on the phone with this very mature articulation of what God had called them to do. And I, have, have, I didn't get to see every day in the last five years, but something about being here in this church and maybe becoming parents and raising two kids and all that God has done in you has, has just, he's just done a marvelous work in you. We're really grateful for that. Um, we are all looking forward, I know, to seeing what God does in and through them in the days ahead. Amen. Uh, my family and I moved back to Maine six and a half years ago to focus on and greatly expand the work of helping churches plant biblical churches in Maine until we see a day when there is a church preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel in every community in our state. Uh, we lived in Maine before. We planted churches in the town of Scarborough outside of Portland and also in the capital of Augusta and developing a passion for working with church planners and missional churches. We moved away for over a decade um, and Caroline and I worked with new and old churches in the Midwest and in Canada and in the Southeast. Um, our task in our work with Multiply Maine is twofold. One, to encourage biblical churches in Maine to multiply themselves. And two, to teach and lead churches to plant biblical churches where they are needed. And to discern that, we look at two criteria. Number one, are there churches preaching the gospel in a particular community? So when we look at a town, are there churches that are actually preaching the gospel there uh, you would think the answer would be yes, but unfortunately, most often the answer is no. And two, are those churches proclaiming the gospel to the community? And there is a difference. In other words, first, are they sound in doctrine? And second of all, are they missional in approach? We would call that orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We want to make sure their orthodoxy and their orthopraxy match and match scripture. 
Um, there are many places in Maine where there are church, no churches preaching the gospel, and there are many places in Maine where churches rightly divide the word of truth in the pulpit, but aren't reaching beyond their own building. I, I would venture to say that the same thing is probably true here in Virginia, yeah. right? Um, and with all of the new influx of people, uh, what we call halfbacks, people from the Northeast who moved to Florida, find it way too hot in July, and then decide to move somewhere halfway in between. That's you, <laughs> right? Some of you are going, that was me. Um, West Palm Beach is a little hard to live in, in in the middle of August when it's 110, and they move halfway back, and they live in Virginia or North Carolina, somewhere like this, very pleasant, uh, with mountains and Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but not today. Um, I hope, though, that that disturbs you to some extent, that there are pre churches that are not preaching the gospel, and then that there are churches that are preaching the gospel, but not proclaiming the gospel to their community. I hope that disturbs you, uh, at least somewhat, because our jurisdiction as the local church doesn't stop at the border to our town or even our state. I think Southern Baptists have a good handle on that. We believe that our call is to see, each church's call is to see, that the gospel is proclaimed around the world. Uh, and I believe that all of us agree that we desire that everyone in Maine and Virginia and the world gets a chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, whether or not they respond, which is up to the Holy Spirit of God. And we desire that God would be glorified in every place and among every people. Um, Caroline and I moved to Maine from Greenville, South Carolina when I was 26 which, and this is the only year that I can say this, was 26 years ago. I know you're all, go ahead and get it through your system and go, I had no idea he was that old. <laughs> um, God had called me to be a pastor. I, I didn't feel like growing up that I was called to be a pastor. I didn't aspire to wear one of these. Not all pastors do, by the way, especially not in Maine. We mostly wear flannel. But I never aspired to be a pastor as a kid, but sometime in my early 20s when I was working as a musician in churches and leading worship at conferences and, and involved in, in Christian music, um, God called me to be a pastor. It was a miraculous thing, and we knew right away that God was calling us to go to a place where they needed pastors the most. We just didn't know where that was. And I pulled out a directory, and I looked in the directory, and I counted up uh, in my Southern Baptist Church directory to see which state had the fewest number of Southern Baptist churches. And it was Maine. Never been to Maine. Never been to the Northeast. Uh, but we knew right away that God had called us to go to Maine. We didn't know anything else. No details. Didn't know how to get there or where we would serve. But we knew God had called us there. I had served as a musician and as a youth pastor. But I'd never led a wedding. I'd never done a funeral. I'd never done a baptism never done the Lord's Supper. I'd rarely preached to adults, but despite our lack of experience, God used uh, Caroline and I and our two little boys to plant a church there with a team of folks in a suburb of Portland, Maine, and that was an incredibly sweet time in our lives, and it is a sweet church today. We left Maine. We came back to Greenville, South Carolina, where uh, I had moved to go to school, to go to college. It's where Caroline and I met each other um, we moved back to Greenville for a little while to work in church planting there, and then we were invited to come back to Maine to plant a church in Augusta. 
And we were there just a few months, started a church called Central Church that's, that's still there and doing very well. Um, we left for about 10 years to work with church planners and churches other places. We lived in Calgary, Alberta. Some of you know Calgary, Alberta. It's a beautiful place. Uh, we lived back in South Carolina. We lived in Atlanta with everyone else. Um, we lived in Southern Illinois. Not a lot of takers for Southern Illinois. Um, but God taught us a lot in all of those different places, and then God eventually brought us back to Maine. No matter where we go, no matter where we go in the world, and I was just in Scotland for a sabbatical in the fall, but no matter where we go in the world, our hearts are in Maine. That's home. Um, and God does that when he calls you to a place that it becomes home. And we absolutely love Maine. If you've been, you know what I'm talking about. It's a magical place every day. Beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, my big boys were little there. My first church was there. My daughter was born there. She's the only native Mainer in our family. Uh, my youngest has grown up there. It's where I learned to be a pastor and a husband and a father and a missionary and where I'm still learning all of those things. Um, which is why it grieves me so much that there are so many places in Maine without the gospel. It grieves me to meet so many atheists and so many people who hate God without knowing anything about him. Uh, Caroline tells the story. She met a lady shortly after we had moved back who was offended that uh, my wife would mention Christ to her. She was an atheist. She uh, told Caroline that she was being disrespectful to talk with her about the gospel, to force her to listen to the gospel. As Caroline was talking with her, she calmed down a little bit. They had a conversation. Before she finished, she said, oh, you should visit our church. You would love our new pastor. And this woman's an atheist. Um, it grieves us that the place that she goes on Sundays with a steeple and a congregation full of self-proclaimed atheists calls itself a church. That's Maine. It may look like a church, but it's not a church. We know that it is not really a church, though they have a church building. Most people in Maine don't ever enter a church building at all, though Mainers would describe themselves as spiritual, and there's a lot of spirituality in Maine. Hardly any of them would describe themselves as Christians. Certainly, almost none would describe themselves as born again. Maine is on average 3% evangelical Christian. Hancock County, where the town of Blue Hill is, where the Plessners are moving, is 2% Christian. Just to put that in perspective, the nation of Cuba is 6% evangelical Christian. It's Cuba. Twice as churched as the state of Maine. Over 90% of the people in our state don't even claim to know Jesus as Lord. And we know that a number of those that would claim to know Jesus as Lord don't actually know Jesus. There are 1.4 million people in the state. Well over a million do not know Christ. This is 12 hours from here, by the way. Despite some mission groups asking us this question, you don't have to have a passport to go to Maine. <laughs> Hundreds of towns, neighborhoods, and island communities have no gospel-reaching church. We need hundreds of churches in our state alone. In fact, uh, we could plant 100 churches that grew to 100 people each, all new believers, which would be a very daunting task. 
That's over twice the size of the average church in Maine. The average church size is 40. If, we, if God gave us grace to plant 100 churches of 100 new believers each, that effort would reach 1% of those who need to be reached. We would go from 97% lost to 96% lost at that effort. 10,000 new Christians. I don't like that math very much, but I think it's powerful for us to see. And a hundred churches is, is well beyond anything that we've ever been able to do. It's not beyond what God's able to do, but it's well beyond anything we've been able to do. With a hundred new churches, that would be the case. We would move that dot from 97% lost to 96% lost, and we get maybe two to three men a year on average who are considering the call to start new churches in Maine. So we have a lot of work to do. Well, you know that while Maine may be the most unevangelized state in the country, we're not the only place that desperately needs the gospel. 80% of the world does not know Jesus, and we, the church, are compelled and commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples. Our responsibility is great. All of us parents know that it is our mandate to share the gospel with our children, to teach them to follow Jesus, and, and lead them to teach their kids our grandchildren. I don't have any yet, but I'm looking forward to having some to follow Jesus and so on and down through each generation. A lot of people in our churches think that is well beyond their abilities. One of the fallacies of our churches is that we sort of hand over our friends to our church staff and say, here, you take it from here. As if we who are clergy flash our badge and say, this is now our responsibility. It's not the case. If you make friends with them and you know the gospel, you are capable of sharing the gospel with them and you're probably capable of discipling them. It certainly is our responsibility. A lot of people think it's beyond their abilities and so they give up and they quit. They just say, Whew, I'm so glad the youth pastor can take these teenagers and talk to them about Jesus. Because we think that talking about Jesus is beyond us though we seem perfectly capable of talking about baseball or football or whatever else. Things we're reading, things we're watching on television, politics. The thing that we know the best and love the most dearly, we find it difficult to talk about. When looking at the statistics that I just shared, it's no coincidence that these two are also true. Over 60% of evangelical Christians do not regularly share their faith. Over 90% of our churches, Southern Baptist churches, are not regularly directly involved in starting new churches. I remember a few years ago when I worked for the North American Mission Board uh, at one of our big conferences, we were rejoicing that the number of our churches that had not been involved in church planting moved from 97% to 94%. That was a cause of great rejoicing. 3% more of our churches were involved in church planting than they had been in the year previous. But that's why I love your vision statement for Calvary Baptist Church. You know it? You know your vision statement? It's on your website. What does it say? It reads... Glorify God by planting churches all over the world. Did you know that? That is your vision statement on your website. 
Glorify God by planting churches in all the world. That's what it says. Amen. Praise God. What a wonderful thing. We don't see that on most church websites. Glad to see it on yours. I've worked with a lot of church planters over the years. By God's grace, we've been part of starting somewhere between 80 and 85 churches in various places. They love to tell the story of how their church got started. If you meet a church planter and you ask them, say, tell tell us how God started your church. They'll get very animated and they'll probably keep you there longer than you really wanted to stay. But we all have those stories. We all should have those stories. Every single church that ever is in existence today was started by someone sometime, right? That just makes sense. It's like we were all born, (laughs) right? We don't know our own birth story, but maybe, but we weren't, you know, we weren't really cognizant at the time, but we were all born. Every church was born. Every church was birthed at some time in some place by some people, including this one. Does anybody know the story of how Calvary got started? Does anybody hear when Calvary got started? I don't know how old it is. Okay, all right. If you know that story, take just a moment and turn and tell your neighbor. Go ahead. If you know that story. I see that not many of you know that story. Our new members learn it in the new members class. Wonderful. That's a great thing to tell folks in the new members class. It's a joy to hear church planting stories, but those stories shouldn't end with the founding of your church. It's kind of like when you go to see a movie and it's a rom-com, it always ends when the two kind of meet up and kiss for the first time, as if that's where love ends, right? Unfortunately, in a lot of rom-com definition of love, that is where love ends. Um, but in real life, that's not the case. You know, the, my story with Caroline didn't end when, when we went out for the first time or when we got the day we got married. It's just getting started. And we love to hear church planting stories, but from there, what does God do? Unfortunately, in a lot of church directories and on their websites, their story is the story of their building projects. Isn't that true? When you look at church websites, and it gives you the history of the church, it's all about they built this building and that building and this building and that building. They acquired this piece of land, and then they built the gym, right? (laughs) But we know the church isn't a building. Most of our new churches don't even have buildings. We meet in a rotary club, okay? Some of them meet in movie theaters or art centers. When we served in Canada, we even knew a church that met in a funeral home. A little disconcerting. But appropriate, right? Yeah. <laughs> really brings home the, the issues, doesn't it? The story of churches is the story of healthy things reproducing, because healthy things do reproduce. All churches that are healthy should have babies, right? And we, we, we need them. These communities need them. You need them. In fact, for most of our churches, it would make them healthier to plant, help plant a new church in a neighboring community as you did a few years ago with the Village Church in Churchville. We had the pleasure yesterday of driving out to, to Churchville out in the country as we were going to Travis and Naomi's house and got to drive by where they, where they meet, see the sign, and then find out that you all were 
the planting church of that work. Praise God. The truth is, we are all called to this work. It's the family business of the people of God, right? The work of redemption. God has equipped each of us to join him in his work to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who haven't heard it, to call people to repentance for sin and to faith in Christ. We read this in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is not a little a lot of middle ground there, is it? Those whom God has reconciled to himself, he has given the ministry of reconciliation. That's the whole church. If God hasn't reconciled you to himself, you're not a Christian. And if God has reconciled you to himself, then as a Christian, he has given you the ministry of reconciliation, that others might be reconciled to God. It's funny to be in churches sometimes and be training in evangelism and to ask people to raise their hands if they're called to evangelism. Because only a few will raise their hands. Most people will never raise their hands. They don't feel called to evangelism and they don't want to admit it if they are called to evangelism. But the truth is, is that God has called all those who are reconciled to the ministry of reconciliation. What else is that? Now, what would you say if someone approached you and asked to hear the gospel? What would you say? How would you define that? What would be important for them to hear? Take a moment and just think on that. I know many of you think about this and you're faithful and sharing the gospel with other people. You've been through training. You've taught training in evangelism. If that's you, you know that many people in the church don't regularly do that and don't know how to do that. And so I know you're cheering me on at this moment. Other of you are cursing my name that I ever even brought this up. But what would you say if someone approached you and said, I need to know about Jesus. I've heard something about Jesus. I, I just need to know. What does that mean? What would you tell them? What would you tell somebody if this morning before church, you stopped for gasoline and the person filling up their car right next to you said, you look like you're dressed for church today. Are you going to church? You say, yes, I am. They say, you know, I've never been to church, but I think I need God. What would you say to them? Well, read the book of Luke. There we go. Amen to that. Now, take just a moment, if you will, because this is Sunday school, so I can do this interactive stuff in Sunday school. It feels like we're in a worship service and I'm preaching, but I'm really not preaching. Stuart will preach. I'm just talking, okay? So take just a moment. We'll do an interactive thing. Take just a moment. Just turn to your neighbor and tell them what you would tell somebody if they approached you at the gas station and needed to hear, wanted to hear about God. What would you tell them? What is the gospel? Go ahead. Take just a minute.
I'll swap. If you've been receiving that, now you tell. Let them receive it. Does it make you uncomfortable to be sort of forced to do that? It is uncomfortable for a lot of us, isn't it? Because we're not in the habit of doing it. If we're in the habit of doing something, we become better at it. Um, when I get home, I have to take the rest of the felt out of my dryer and replace it. I've never done it before. So if you've done that, I'm a little intimidated by it. Trying to think if I can just get away with not doing it. Some of you feel that way about evangelism. You're intimidated by it. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not something we're used to doing. But the more we do it, the better we get at it. We also know that it's not our powers of persuasion that cause anybody to come to Christ. Simply that we're called to obey. That the Holy Spirit does the work of drawing men and women to Jesus. But, you know, in Maine, in places like Maine, it's a little bit different than sharing the gospel probably with a lot of people in this part of the world. If you were speaking to someone in Maine, here's how that might look different. And certainly there are people who just arrived here, moved here, maybe from Maine or Massachusetts or New Jersey or New York or even farther flung places in the world who have no relevance with the gospel, no understanding of anything related to Christianity. But in Maine, uh, most of the people that you meet consider this. They've never read the Bible. They've never owned a Bible. They've never seen a Bible. They've never actually met a Christian that they know of. Okay? They've never heard Jesus loves me. They've never heard that God created the world or them. They've never heard anyone pray. They've probably never been prayed for by anyone. Unless they have a grandparent who's Catholic. Because they almost assuredly don't have a grandparent who is Protestant. They don't know our language. They don't know the word sin. They don't know the word salvation. Transgressions, forget about it. Gospel, don't know what that is. The only time they've heard the word fellowship is if they've watched the Lord of the Rings. They don't know who Jesus is. They've never heard his name except used as a curse word. For the sake of time, I won't ask you to do this, but you might consider what it would be like if you had to turn to your neighbor and share the gospel with them as if they were from Maine. Can't use any of our lingo, any of our verbiage. Can't assume anything, and the Bible is not their ultimate authority. They've never even heard of it. Well, when we look at Scripture, it's very clear two things. One, it's very clear that we are called to this work. That whether you're in Maine or whether you're in Virginia, whether you're called to the pastorate, whether you're called into formal ministry, as Stuart and I are, 
or whether you just have a call of God on your life, not to be a pastor, but to go as missionaries, as Travis and Naomi do. See, I love their story because Travis has told me two or three times, in fact, yesterday he mentioned it again, I'm not called to be a pastor, right? But does that exempt them from the call to go and help start a new church? Absolutely not. Lottie Moon wasn't called to be a pastor either. Didn't stop her, right? <laughs> Lottie Moon. Little Lottie Moon. It's very clear from Scripture that this is a work that we are all called to do. Work of redemption, sharing the gospel, planting churches, missions. We're all called to do this. From the very beginning of Scripture, we see this in Genesis 1, the mandate to Adam and Eve. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the Godhead, the Trinity. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all creeping things that live, that creep on the earth. And so God created them in his image, man in his image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth you say what does that have to do with evangelism well that's exactly what it is God has called us to be fruitful and to multiply which we could read that and we could think God just wanted Adam and Eve to have lots of children but guess what? By the time the Tower of Babel rolls around, remember that one? There's lots of people on the earth. Lots of people have had children. God wasn't particularly happy with it, right? By the age of Noah, when all of those people who turned their back on God, there were lots of people, though. Lots of people had had kids, right? And God wasn't very happy with it, so much so that he destroyed the world, leaving only one family intact. Well, isn't that what God wanted? Didn't he just want Adam and Eve to have lots of kids? No, that's not what he wanted. He, he wasn't looking for them to procreate. That's not the gospel call, just have a lot of kids. I mean, it's great if you have a lot of kids. We love it, right? We love kids. But God's called us to more than that. He's called us to proto-create. Proto means first or original. God has called us to make people who know this whether they're birthed in our family by blood or whether they're spiritual children that we gather in. God has called us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people who recognize that they have dominion over the earth and that God has dominion over them. People who know that they are made in the image of God for the glory of God. That's our calling. That's what God has called us to do. Whether they're our own kids or whether they're our spiritual children. Even if it's that guy at the gas station who yesterday didn't know Jesus and today knows Jesus. And he's looking at you because you're the only Christian he knows. And this is your calling, right? You've got a spiritual child. You're 40, but you have a 68-year-old spiritual child, this man that you met at the gas station who doesn't know anything about the Bible. And you say, read the book of Luke. Because where else is he going to go? 
You're the only Christian that he's met until you bring him to church and meet a whole bunch of others. We see this all throughout Scripture. We see that mandate at the very beginning, and it just keeps popping up. If you study uh, the Old Testament, you look particularly at the book of Genesis, we keep seeing this mandate come through, right? And it's a command, it's a command, it's a command, and then it's a promise from God. It's a blessing from God to not just have physical children, but to multiply men and women like you, made in the image of God, blessed by God for the glory of God. There's plenty of people that although they knew God didn't honor or give thanks to him, as it says in Romans 1, that's not what God is looking for us to do. God wants them to have spiritual children who reflect the glory of God and in whose image they were made. And just like every church has a story of how they were planted, each one of us who know and follow Christ has a story of our spiritual fathers and mothers who pointed us to Christ. We can look back and tell the stories of the people who led us to Jesus, who pointed us to Christ, who trained us up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I hope that you have stories of your spiritual children, your spiritual nieces and nephews, younger brothers and sisters in the faith, ones that you have pointed or even now are praying for and pointing to Jesus. And so we have this command to multiply given to Adam and Eve, the first people, the first family, and then it's given again to Noah in Genesis 9, and then the command becomes a promise to Abraham in Genesis 17, and again to Isaac in Genesis 26. It's given again as a command to Jacob, then it's given to the disciples, then to the church in the not the one great commission, but the four great commissions in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and John 20 and Acts 1.8. Over and over again, we're given this command, multiply God worshipers, make disciples, be my witnesses. And as John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Our goal and the thing that we will spend eternity doing is to worship God. But where people don't worship God, we have missions. We bring the gospel. And we bring the gospel most often. Our strategy in the International Mission Board and in missions agencies all around the world is to, we know that we need people there with skin on who will faithfully proclaim the gospel over and over and over and over and over. Even Billy Graham would have said, it's not about sharing the gospel one time. It's about the faithful proclamation of the gospel over time that changes a community and leads people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then something remarkable happens in Acts 1.8. That, that command becomes a promise again. The disciples coming together, the apostles coming together, and Jesus is risen from the dead, and they come together and they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And what that tells us is that God is sovereign over the evangelists. He's sovereign over our work of redemption. You will be my witnesses, he says. You will. If you are a child of God, you will be my witnesses. You will go and you will tell, right? God is sovereign over that activity. You know, we have this call of God to see all these churches planted in Maine, but what happens with that is solely up to the Lord. 
I can't make it happen, right? Travis and Naomi cannot make that happen in Blue Hill. How do we sleep at night otherwise? How would we? We want to see people. We desperately want to see people come to know Christ. But we know that without the Holy Spirit's intervention, nothing that we do will stand. So God is sovereign over the evangelist. We will be his witnesses. We are in his image for his glory under his complete authority. He compels his people to go. The, the reason we see those numbers for not sharing so high is that there are far fewer of God's people than our membership roles would attest. Does every believer share the gospel faithfully at all times? No, but God compels his people to go. You've felt that compulsion from the Lord to, to go and to tell and to pray for the lost and to share the gospel with people, to give somebody that Bible as a Christmas present. We, we feel that compulsion from Christ. We're impacted like Isaiah with the, the holiness of God and we realize our own sinfulness before him. And then as we experience his marvelous grace, we receive that incredible gift in the call to join him in his mission and we respond like the Plessners. Here I am, send me. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never baptized anyone. And in Maine, the water's cold. Really, really cold. People from the South partners would ask us, and they were like, where do you baptize people? You don't have a building. Yeah, we just baptize them in the, in the ocean. And they go, isn't it cold out there? We go, yeah, we just cut a hole in the ice, and we bob them down on a rope, and <laughs> if they come up alive, we know it took, you know? We figure it out. You'll figure it out. You will. You'll figure it out. Because those that God calls, he equips, and he calls all of us. And he's equipped all of us for everything that we need for life and godliness. And life and godliness includes being faithful in the work of redemption. The other one, the last verse for you, because we've got to go. We've got a church service here in a few minutes. But the, the last one I'll take you to, my wife loves this bookend on the book of Acts. And our church is actually preaching our way through the book of Acts uh, right now. And I'm really glad to be there again. At the very beginning, we've got Acts 1-8. God is sovereign over the evangelist at the very end of the book of Acts, interestingly enough, in Acts 28, verse 28, it says this, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Isn't that something? You will be my witnesses. They will listen. God is not only sovereign over the evangelist, over us, over the church, God is sovereign out there. He's sovereign over the evangelized. He's sovereign over the Gentiles and the Jews. He's sovereign over all of that. Love to tell people, it's like, can you make Jesus the Lord of your life? No, Jesus is the Lord. He's always been the Lord, right? The Lord reigns. That's the truth, right? Psalm 97, 91. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. That's our response. Let the many coastlands be glad. That's the verse you'll see on our stuff for Multiply Maine. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. You know, coastlands doesn't just mean places with a beach. Coastlands in Scripture is a euphemism for rough places. 
Places where the sailors would come in from all over the world, bringing all their pagan ideas. All the riffraff were there. That's Maine. Maine's kind of like that. We like that verse quite a bit. The Lord does reign. He reigns. No question about that. What is our response? Well, the trees of the forest will clap their hands, right? The rocks will cry out. The earth will rejoice. And let the many coastlands be glad as well in the fact that the Lord reigns. He's sovereign over the evangelists, over the church. He's sovereign over the world, over those that we go to proclaim the gospel to. And so when we go, we are in good company. Travis and Naomi aren't the first believers in Blue Hill. Yesterday, as we prayed together, we got to read some passages from revival seasons back in the 17 and 1800s, things that happened in Blue Hill, Maine. God has worked there before. He will work there again. It doesn't belong to us. We're not the great white hope strolling in, you know, bringing the gospel. There's some believers there already. There's always a remnant. And God... He's sovereign over that place as well. Abraham Kuyper said, there's not a square inch on the whole earth over which Christ does not claim mine. Lord reigns. He's sovereign over all of this, which is why we can go and do this with confidence, which is why you can go and do this with confidence, without fear. As hard as it is to share the gospel with your neighbor, as hard as it is to share the gospel with someone who's never seen a Bible before, we can go and do this with all confidence because this too belongs to God. And what a great joy to watch him, to witness him doing his work. There's all kinds of ways to do that. You can get training, and training's great. But go with confidence, knowing that God has called us to this work. What a privilege what a privilege to be part of what God is doing in Maine. What a privilege for you to be part of what God is doing here. Now, tonight, we'll talk a little bit about the details of that, how you can be involved in Maine. I hope that you'll come and be with us tonight and hear that, and we can have a conversation together about that. We'd love to see you be involved. Whether or not you ever set foot in Maine, we'd love for you to be involved in the work in Maine. And I think you'll see God do things that will bring you great joy. A church with a vision statement like we want to plant churches all over the world, I can't imagine anything that would make you happier. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for this privilege. We are so grateful to be able to join you in your work in the family business of redemption here and in Maine and everywhere in between. All around the world, this church is partnerships in Israel and Africa. Lord, we thank you for churches with a heart for the nations. Thank you for churches with a heart for the lost, with a heart for your glory. God, we pray your blessing over Travis and Naomi. I know that this is not a sending service. They will be sent out from this place, and folks will address that and do that better than I could. We, we don't actually get to send, Caroline and I. We get to receive. We feel like it's Christmas. We get a gift of them coming to us. And God, may they come with the confidence that you are over this, that you reign over all of this too. That in our lack and our weakness, we get to see your strength. In our lack of wisdom, we get to see yours. In our lack of 
eloquent words, we get to see the simple, powerful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, go before us and work mightily. May we bring good reports to one another, this church and, and our ministry over the next few years, Lord. May we just delight in telling one another what you have done, sharing those church planning stories and the stories of those who have come to faith, knowing that you are sovereign over all, that you reign. May we rejoice and be glad. In Jesus' name, amen. I like being the first one to start clapping. I go for it every time. So tonight, 5 o'clock, please come back and see Roger and hear how you can be involved. And I was listening, and of course, I get excited when I meet another missionary. And it kind of occurred to me, he pointed out your mission statement, Calvary. He pointed out what you're about. Do you know how you plant churches? You plant missionaries. Do you know how you plant missionaries? You make missionaries. So, who's planning on going to Maine? I'll see some hands up. I see one hand up right now. I like to see hands, guys. I want to see involvement. I don't mean just move up there. I would love for you to move up there, but you need to start praying now because if we're about, if we're about planting churches, that means y'all are about planting churches. And if y'all are about planting churches, you got to get up. I mean, the best analogy I can give you is you ever gone to Lowe's in the spring? Y'all are laughing. Y'all don't know what I'm going to say. There's a lot of little baby plants there, right? What happens if you leave them at Lowe's in the spring? They die. You have an opportunity to plant, whether it be Maine, whether it be Israel, Senegal, and anywhere in between, it falls to the church. The church lives and dies by raising missionaries through discipleship, and by planting so that the world may know Christ. That is why the church exists. So now that I've got that out of my system, we've got, man, we got like 30 minutes that we get to fellowship and have coffee. Mr. Cameron C., I think he's only got one pot of coffee back there, so we're going to have to run back there and help him. But, so please go to the gym, spend time with Roger and his family, and just fellowship and enjoy getting to spend time together this morning. I look forward to getting to chat with some of y'all and a rare opportunity to get to, to walk around. But go have coffee and enjoy time with each other.